Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's December 15th, 1946. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. Christian Dior, Yves Saint Laurent and Jean Galliano, some of the biggest names in fashion. And several things link them, not least that they were all men in an industry that caters so specifically to women. And also that at least two of them liked the Nazis just a little bit too much. But also they all owe their careers to Dior's decision to start up his very own showroom, which opened its doors today in history in 1946. Yes, this was the opening of 30 Avenue Montaigne, which was Dior's atelier, his house, uh, which still now is like the epicentre of stylish Parisian elegance. But it wasn't on this day. On this day, there's still six weeks to go until the first show, which happened on February the 12th, 1947. And it's basically a building site. Yes, and it was a particularly exciting time to be opening your own fashion house if you were Christian Dior because this was the post-war era and women had been either in uniform or they'd been in baggy practical clothes working in factories or on farms. So there was almost a clean slate and there was this hunger for a bit of fantasy, you know, and a bit of femininity, especially because of clothing rationing as well, which meant that clothing had been very plain and basic. And so this was a really exciting time for a fashion designer to be introducing the world to a new look. And you say the new look. So that was actually the way that his debut collection was received. Uh, it was called by Harper's Bazaar's then editor-in-chief, Carmel Snow. She said to Dior, once he released this thing, she said, it's quite a revolution, dear Christian. Your dresses have such a new look. And new look then became the trademark for what he had done to fashion, which was exactly this thing of, you know, trying to mount a kind of rebuttal of that post-war restricted look that people had adopted. He was using 20 yards of fabric per dress. So this was a real sort of maximalism to answer the minimalist aesthetic that had come immediately before that. Yeah, the critics were pretty unified, really. Here's Bettina Ballard, the fashion editor of Vogue. Quote, Never has there been a moment more climactically right for a Napoleon, an Alexander the Great, a Caesar of the couture. <laughs> Paris fashion was waiting to be seized and shaken and given direction. There has never been an easier or more complete conquest than that of Christian Dior in 1947. <laughs> Well, I mean, luckily for him, he had a wealthy backer in the form of a cotton baron called Marcel Boussac, who, if you remember our episode on Luxottica, we talked about vertical integration. Well, Boussac was very keen to practice some vertical integration. You know, he was already doing the cotton Integration mark. vertical, presumably. <laughs> That's as, as they call it in France. <laughs> uh, and his, he reached out to Dior, who at this point, he was relatively well known for designing for other people. And Boussac wanted him to revive a brand called Philippe et Gaston. Dior somehow, instead, 
instead convinced Brusak it would be better to set him up with his own fashion house. He also secured a partial stake in the business and one third of the pre-tax profits. So it worked out very favourably indeed to Dior. You know, he wasn't just an airy-fairy arts guy. He was a pretty keen businessman as well. And in fact, the house that he opened in on this day at 30 Avenue Montaigne was actually a private home. And he had just happened to walk past it one day. It's this very elegant street. It kind of intersects with the Champs-Élysées. He just noticed it by chance and set his heart on it. And luckily he had a very wealthy cotton baron who was able to give it to him. Well, the other thing that he brought to it as well as Boussac's wealth was his own uh, personal wealth because he was actually from a pretty well-to-do background. His father was a fertiliser manufacturer. His father was a cow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but a very well-to-do one. <laughs> um, and early on, his parents actually had hopes of him becoming a diplomat. Uh, he, though, was rather artistically inclined and he had initially started out just selling his sketches on the street to make pocket money when he was a young man. But after he left school, he was given an art gallery by his father. So already he's doing okay. And that's where he uh, and one of his friends sold work from various artists, both established and up and coming, including one Pablo Picasso. And then after the onset of the Great Depression in 1929 and the death of both his mother and his father and also the collapse of his father's business, he was kind of forced to close his art gallery. And it was at that point that he pivoted to fashion, first working for someone else and then working his way up. Yes, but having that relationship with high-end clients was really crucial to his success. You know, in our Chanel episode, we talked about how she really used perfume to establish her brand. For Dior, who also did a perfume, it was more about who was wearing his clothes Mm. because the kind of reputation he wanted to create for himself, it would have been vulgar to have been seen spending money on advertising or publicity. So all he was left with was what we would now call influencers. And he had this laser-like focus on the Duchess of Windsor, Wallace Simpson, which did eventually work and then ended up ultimately with Princess Margaret wearing a Dior dress for her 21st birthday party, which was really what sealed his reputation, which in itself is really interesting because Dior is so quintessentially French and yet was always really Anglophile as well and interested in the British royal family. I mean, again, think of that perfume. It's called Miss Dior. Like, he mm. used English words. He knew that a lot of his clients needed to be in London as well as Paris. Though actually King George V had reportedly forbade both of his daughters, the princesses Elizabeth and Margaret, from wearing the new look because I guess he thought, particularly at that time, it set this very bad example for all British people when, you know, rationing was still in force. And I guess you couldn't be seen to be doing this sort of over-the-top public displays of wealth stuff. Yeah, and it's funny that it was so controversial because the look was so inspired by the styles that had been popular during Dior's own childhood, what we would mm. call Edwardian or in France they would call Belle Epoque. So if you think of, you know, a lady's walking suit and those shirt-waist-skirt combinations that were popular during that time period, you could totally see that reflected in those early Dior collections as well. But despite the fact they were harking back to the past, they were seen, as you mentioned, Arian, as very controversial. There were protests against the new look and there were even incidents of his models being jeered and spat at and even attacked during their first new look shoot. It was done in the streets of Paris and there's this famous photo that was taken later of these female market traders who are kind of pulling at the model's clothing because they were so enraged that they were parading themselves in the streets of Paris Mm. in this wasteful look. A moniker that soon became attached to him, he became known as the tyrant of hemlines, which I must say, it was meant to be a criticism of him at the time, but it actually sounds like something that could have been 
a positive, and perhaps that speaks to the fact that we live in an era where a certain sort of authority at the very, very top of kind of creative industries is seen as something to be respected. But at the time, this was connected to just the swirling controversy around what he was doing, which was so opposed to that kind of wartime rationing. I do wonder as well whether that came from women who were anxious that their industry of seamstresses were being usurped by this powerful gay man, basically. I mean, that's what's behind mm. what Coco Chanel was saying, wasn't it? You know, here's this guy who, and if you see footage of him, he's he's quite hands-on and he's quite physically forceful, like when he's dressing a model, like putting on <laughs> the cravat or putting on the blazer, <laughs> moving it along. It is kind of tyrannical. It is it is manipulative. It is, it's moulding the model to mm. look exactly the way that he wants. And of course, that's the template that like every fashion designer of the 20th century then went on to do. But I guess then he was doing something novel. But even if you saw his models themselves as being kind of like mannequins for his creations, he was definitely very in touch with what the average consumer might want. The average consumer of an absurdly expensive dress. (laughs) Well, now this is the thing, though, because so many fashion designers would have liked to have kept their brand, you know, out of the hands of the average person. So from the beginning, he was making accessories like gloves and stockings and, of course, the famous perfume, Mr. Yore, which was released in 1947. And that was his tribute to his sister, Catherine, during the war, Catherine was a member of the French resistance and she was actually captured by the Nazis and sent to Ravensbrück, the infamous concentration camp for female prisoners. But at the same time, Dior was designing clothes for the wives and mistresses of Nazi officers. He had been in the French army during the invasion, but after the fall of France, he returned to fashion. He was working for someone called Lucien Lelong at the time, and that firm remained in business by collaborating with the occupiers. But it must have sat quite uncomfortably. And then, you know, he named his perfume after his sister, who had obviously been so heroic during the war. And that has such a weird echo later on after the arrival of Yves Saint Laurent who he started working with him in his kind of late teens early 20s and by 1957 uh, he had been chosen to succeed Dior but at this point Dior was only 52 years old. Did you see the conspiracy theory about how Yves Saint Laurent ended up being kicked out of Dior? No go on. No. Well apparently you know Marcel Boussac the cotton baron so this was during the war of Algerian independence and apparently Boussac had been using his clout to prevent Yves Saint Laurent who's only 21 at the time from being drafted but because the brand was starting to struggle you know you had that Chanel style look you know the sort of Jackie Kennedy silhouette was coming to fashion Yves Saint Laurent was struggling to keep Dior relevant apparently Boussac withdrew his protection Yves Saint Laurent was conscripted he lasted three weeks in the army he was this skinny bespectacled gangly gay kid he was so badly bullied he ended up in a psych hospital in like two weeks luckily after his discharge he won a breach of contract suit and he used that to have found his own fashion house wow that's amazing (laughs) and so another week of retrospecting ends but next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday patreon.com slash retrospectors part of the ACAST creator network planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.